0: Your move, creep. Wish me luck, Freezer. You Dino, Son, your ego is writing checks your body
1: can't cash. It's the only thing I know how to do. He's a good looking boy.
0: I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's my right, Lord. Welcome to Earth. You cost a line. Yeah, that's just like uh, your opinion, man.
2: Hello, everybody. Welcome back from the break. I assume we put a break in there. Because we are professional podcasters.
0: So today we're going to have Dylan Damodar. Oh my goodness. I'm sorry, Dylan. (laughs) Dylan Damodar, right? Oh
2: no. Did I I butcher it? Oh no. (laughs) Uh, Dylan Damodar. And this is take two, people. (laughs) (laughs) We've had
0: this discussion already, but
2: I- We had a very, very long conversation about the importance of our names, but- we didn't learn anything from it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's it, it's for the it's for the next generation to solve. We'll 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 get there.
0: So we actually graduated, or uh, Austin graduated with Dylan from UCI. I met Dylan when I was a freshman. Met you, Austin, when I was a freshman, and you guys were you guys were kind of at the you knew you were most familiar with the schools. You were directing at FADA, Austin, uh, Dylan. I'm sorry, I keep doing that, man. I'm sorry. He's mixing us up. <laughs> but Dylan, you were the director of FADA right? The, uh, the, the film organization on campus. You organized a lot of the events. You worked with a lot of the filmmakers on campus, if I'm remembering correctly, right?
1: Yeah, I did the best I could uh, during my time at UCI with Austin and a few other very talented filmmakers to just sort of bring the community together. Uh, FADA had already existed. FADA stands for Film Arts Drama Alliance. It was sort of the, the idea was to bring the theater department, uh, the theater major, which was like across the bridge on campus, and, and the film department, where there's a lot of people who want to, you know, tell stories or, or through camera, and there are a lot of actors that want to act. Can we find a way to bring them together? And we started off as like this social media side, and it sort of grew into what what was my part, which was Zot Film, and where we did basically made it into a club where we did a 10-week program teaching uh, students how to make a film in 10 weeks from start to, uh, you know, soup to nuts. And uh, it worked out really well, and that kind of allowed me to meet you, George, and a whole bunch of other uh, great filmmakers it was it was a wonderful time
0: mm-hmm. oh man the, you you guys set it up so well i learned so much in that first quarter of of and i was uh i was the sound guy i was i was a boom operator but even then i just you learned so much about the process and it was super like oh my god it's here's a club full of filmmakers and we could talk about movies and every time we finished the shoot day we were just like sit around and like, oh, OK, well, what do you think of this movie? Oh, I think I think that one was dumb. And it was really fun. And um, you guys set up a really cool environment on campus where it was like really accessible, but also like kind of nerdy, which was awesome. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah. Austin, I think you, I mean, you both were there for that first
1: Zot film meeting, that debut where we're like, we fully expected just like, you know, 15, maybe 20 people max. Mm-hmm. And we'll make one short film. And it was like a whole lecture hall full. Yeah, I remember that. Most of them were film students, but there were a few that weren't. And I was just like, wow, what just happened here? We got like almost 100 <laughs> people. Uh, and then like uh, another friend of ours, uh, Yudo, like we were just talking, Bunny hands, were like, what do? We, what should we do? And he's like, you know, I think we should break them up. Let's make multiple films. There's too many people, too many cooks in the kitchen. And like, it's a great idea. We'll just split everybody up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it worked out. It was It was really good. And we had a premiere every quarter did the whole red carpet thing oh we were obsessed with red carpets we really really did it big i don't know why but
2: we did <laughs>
0: yeah i, no, I kept
2: one of those as my profile picture for the longest time
0: oh yeah that's right those red carpet events were so cool and every time we premiered our films it was just dope it was dope it was, dope. It was cool i i still remember cupid's arrow man god yeah, damn it cupid's Austin! Arrow. you and heather killed it Amazing. you guys did such a good job it got, and I just remember the reaction when, with the twist happened. It's, yeah. <gasps> <laughs> it was, oh. it was a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, remember, it was so much. Fun. I, that's yeah. For listeners out there who didn't listen to our retrograde origins episode, George and I actually met through this this club. We made a film together, and I, I, I gotta admit, I wasn't the biggest fan of George. <laughs> and, and since then, he's become one of my best friends. So, oh, oh, oh I have my that. heart hurts,
0: oh, <laughs> oh. oh. bro, bro, <laughs> I love you. No, but but we we kept, we did butt heads a bit because yeah. it was the it was the whole creative differences. You yeah, know? You, you guys co-wrote I, I imagined it. Right? it with, no, 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 no. I wrote it with Sam, oh, Sam, uh, and and Austin co-directed it with Heather. Right, and,
2: and we we were not fans of, of it. And we were not fans of particularly George, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> but somehow you know through just meetings and actually filming the thing, it really worked out. And it worked out even in the long run because when we finished the project, we, I mean, we weren't hanging out or we weren't going out or texting, but like yeah. years later, he still remembered me. Yeah, and now we have a podcast. Holy yeah. shit! What? Damn! You play? I played the long game. <laughs> <laughs> it's like. Dude, Dude, I didn't, I unconsciously played the long, but game. You, you know what I mean? You like, made a,
2: a film, like, cause we did like, there was another film festival the year after, like after I had graduated and I saw your movie and I remembered, you know, oh, I remember Jorge Montoya. That guy was annoying. And then I saw your movie and I'm like, this is one of the best ones here. Like, I can't believe I thought that about him. I should, I should go over there and say something to him, which is something oh, I never yeah. do. Never ever. But I was like, I, I should do this.
0: I'm so happy (laughs) you're tearing me apart, Austin. (laughs) No, but that it really meant a lot. You know what I mean? Uh, And and look, man, this was something that started in 2011. And yeah, it didn't start out in the most ideal way. You know, it wasn't love at first sight. But damn, dealing with you and judo and uh, and Heather and Austin, when what you guys really pushed that those first uh, that first year? It pay- it's still paying off because here we have you in the podcast and you're going to teach us so much about what's happening right now in the industry.
1: Well, I am, I am very honored to be here. I'm, I'm a big fan of your guys' show and uh, all the work you guys have done is amazing and i want to keep listening. Thank you, man. Uh, my wife and I, we've watched virtually every movie uh, that you guys have covered.
0: It
2: makes me so happy. Yeah. Thank you for being here, Dylan. Really
0: appreciate it, man. It's, it's really great. So thank you for having me. Well and well so okay, after graduating from UCI, you've uh, you've gone on to work in the industry still. So can you tell us a little bit of what you've done after graduation?
1: Uh sure. I uh, I started just in you know, what most film students will do if they want to get into production is they become a PA production assistant, working on random music videos and such. Uh I did manage to network with some filmmakers through uh FATA actually, uh, to produce a feature film, uh which I also edited. Um and that was a great experience. And uh, my journey into getting, trying to figure out how to get that film sold and get, actually get it distributed uh, on, you know, on iTunes and Google Play and how does all that work? And, you know, it, w- it was a big challenge uh, for an independent, you know, just a person, just a few people trying to sell the movie to a larger community and industry. Uh, my journey to figuring out how all that worked in distribution uh, paved way for me getting an internship at an independent company uh, called Freestyle and uh, it turned into a job and a, and a great career for me uh, working in uh, operations uh, for film distribution.
2: So to someone who doesn't know anything about the film industry, how, what, what is distribution? So there's, there's a production where people get together,
1: they, they, they agree on a script and they will get a camera and, and ta- actors and all the stuff and make the film. Once the film is done, then it has to go into the hands of a distributor. And this is a different company? Sometimes a different company over the course of these years a lot of it is done in-house like vertically uh, where studios will you know acquire their own content you know quote unquote mm-hmm. and distribute it themselves through their own platforms. That's a lot of what's happening in the industry right now. Um, but you know an independent would obviously make the film for themselves and kind of put it on the free market available to purchase and acquire uh, to anyone mm-hmm. that's willing. and now there are more players than ever, uh, including like Amazon and Apple with a lot more you know, a lot more money uh, in the billions uh, relative to some of these other studios. So it's changed the dynamics a lot. Uh, the tech business has really uh, snuck their way into Hollywood. Um, but, that, but that is distribution. Once a film is acquired, then it's up to the, the studio, that company, to maximize the profit of uh, that product uh, by putting out on every single like, possible screen available at the right moment. In the old days, and I say old days because it's like changing so fast, uh, but pre pandemic, you know, studios would dedicate three months or more uh, to theaters exclusively. And uh, after that, they would go for another two to three, sometimes four months on digital uh, home entertainment. That's what they call that window. And then after that, it goes to a subscription video on demand service like Netflix or Disney Plus or HBO Max, et cetera, et cetera. After that, then it's in like a syndication kind of space where it's like completely wild west cruise lines, airplanes, you know, high school, you know, high school, you know, you know, boardrooms and stuff. Like it just it will go everywhere, everywhere possible, uh, for a much lower price than when it started, um, and all, all this to to maximize profit for the film. They they call it a waterfall in a profit and loss sheet for the title. Every subsequent window, uh, a uh, portion of time where the film is making revenue on a certain platform. Is a percentage of the theatrical revenue. No film has ever made more on digital than they did on theatrical, typically. Well, it's, Unless it failed I mean, it's, theatrically and then kind of made its way back through a cult following. So,
2: like the Rocky Horror Picture Show or The Room, stuff like that. The movies you cover, yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, little, little Shop of Horrors too, right? I mean, there, there,
1: that actually so me. It's it's a mistake to say that that no movie. I'm saying. That uh, the original plan, the, yeah. the the best case scenario for any distributor when they look at it is: they're okay, we're going to put on theaters and make this amount of money, and then a percentage of that will go to all these, or a percentage of that number will be what we can expect for all the other windows.
0: Or it's typically that a, a typical movie release in theaters will make most of its money. In the in the box office in theater in the theater release window correct
1: yeah I, I mean, it depends on the on the title of course you know l- lately uh, the exhibition industry which is like a third uh, uh sector of the all the Hollywood where you know that's the AMC theaters and Regal Cinemark where like you know they've kind of put all their all their chips on on Avengers movies big blockbusters you know they haven't really figured out a way to diversify their content and make it Attractive for people to come of other of the other genres uh, besides big blockbusters, which is sort of a shame. And like they just kind of wait for the studios to kind of bring them the, the content while they twiddle their thumbs and program theater. So there, there need, there needs to be some innovation for the exhibition industry for sure.
2: How has the pandemic affected uh, distribution and exhibition? Uh,
1: the pandemic has like gravely affected exhibition. They're you know we're, they're bleeding cash. Uh, the markets that are open, and this has a lot had to do with the way the government has kind of handled the pandemic. They have not funded a lot of businesses. I mean, we talk about when restaurants are closing, you hear a lot of rough things are happening in other industries. It's kind of the same for theaters. I mean, yeah. their only option is to stay open because they have to continue paying rent just because it's just so much square footage. But it's hard to not to look at a theater and think they're kind of like the the ma- like a mattress store. You know, it's a lot of wa- like wasted square footage, you know? Uh, when they're, mm. when they're not open and when they're not packed with seats uh, and it, it's just a real tough time for exhibition for, for distribution it's just a lot of now pivoting to where where kind of the the dollars are flying and which is with these bigger tech companies that have a catalog and they you know where, uh, Tech companies have, like Amazon. Yeah, like like where Amazon, you know, their main goal is to get you to subscribe to Amazon Prime and buy toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> no, literally. And like, you know, right now what's happening in this industry when, when, you, when yeah. we talk about like when we get there in a bit, but uh, with HBO and just all the other um, studios that are going into streaming, it's going to be a whole new uh, influx of money that's going to be coming in to basically just acquire content at a really high price just for the sake of it almost and it's less about the art more about having a catalog so that you're more incentivized to subscribe to this studio's platform and not another studio
0: when netflix first started it was definitely a here you could watch these movies and television shows but with house of cards that's when it launched like that's i feel you could see the light bulb turn with netflix it's like okay we need to create content because these lights these shows are coming in and out We can't always rely on people staying with us if this stuff is leaving because, you know, Friends, The Office, for example. So they've really been building their own catalog and it's gotten to the point where now you need to have Netflix because of their original content.
2: Yeah. And like the people, the Stranger Things like that really, really, really took off. Like that's so popular. The Witcher. More people watched The Witcher than The Mandalorian that year, right?
0: Yeah. Well, it, the The Witcher beat out Mandalorian. Now Mandalorian's like the most, one of the most yeah. watched shows. And like, that, it, it, I
1: mean, in in fairness, uh, it, it's it's interesting. I just want to make the point that like you, we technically don't know for a fact which one was watched more because we're relying on information that's completely opaque directly from the studio. Netflix considers uh, a, a view as like potentially like thirty seconds to two minutes of of one episode. And that considers a view for the whole series. What uh, it could be the same for Mandalorian. The metrics are are so loose and uh, Screen Engine, you know, they're like a tracking like data analytics company. Well, we're familiar. They're, with them. they're relying on as much data as they can, but they're not really getting the real behind the curtain factor here when it comes to making a real call on what's more popular. It's really like the iTunes well, it- top ten charts, and then the Netflix's top ten, the Disney's top ten, and then the numbers that they decide to put out.
0: Well, we were talking about in the last episode, we were talking about box office. And regardless of, you know, with the box office earnings, it's like here is an actual number tied to how a film performed. And for years, decades, uh, almost a, uh, close to a century, probably people have been focusing on that. And that is the metric. But now with streaming services, who the fuck knows? Because now you're saying that a 30 seconds that watching the beginning of Stranger Things up until the intro probably counts as a view what counts is what counts anymore there's no actual dollar amount to it yeah i mean it it could, it and, could be a little bit longer please don't misunderstand but i i
1: just i just mm-hmm. making the point that it's not like they're actually watching the full thing nor to count it as a view like whereas opposed to a movie ticket you know like you could return the ticket but then that gets takes away from the gross like immediately we see that data in real time so <laughs> uh that's not You see that, that, that
2: data in real time
1: uh by the hour yeah there's a company that does that um sort of Real-time tracking of the box office gross to every theater covers mostly the big three. I'm sorry, the big three. That's uh, AMC Theaters, Regal Theaters, and Cinemark.
2: But for for the streaming services, like there's no one company that knows uh, Netflix has this many views at this time, and Disney Plus has this many views for this at this time. There's nothing like that for for streaming, right? There's nothing like that. That that's
1: that's verifiable. That the that can be cross-referenced. You know what I mean? Like it's really up mm. to just the studio. So like like you know how many people have listened and download to download your podcast right like that's not something well, that we can per platform like we can't we can't challenge that you know we it's like Trump we can't we can't challenge the vote if like that's what it is <laughs> I mean with box office the theatrical box office gross I mean the the National Association of Theater Owners is like this. Uh, company that rallied all the independent theaters to prevent a scenario where the studios would acquire all the theater chains and sort of kind of create this monopolistic is a
2: vertical integration, vertical integration I think yeah. a, that's the vocabulary word <laughs> exactly it, and that's isn't that illegal too there, there was a you know a whole order uh i want to say
1: it was in the 50s 40s mm-hmm. um where studios were basically forcing theaters to take on like a collection of films like a really good one and then and then, like their ones that didn't turn out so well in order to program and just basically putting theater owners in a very tough position uh when it comes to programming their their content for their cinemas and uh yeah the government kind of shot that down and basically split up basically required that there was no acts to I think it was called blind blind booking and like run zone clearance. Oh, like the, oh, I is... have like a big movie. I'm gonna play Wonder Woman in in the in Century City, but I'm not gonna play it in like Inglewood. Just speaking LA, uh-huh. like they're gonna they're gonna make sure that they saturate the audience to where they want to, and that's kind of like not fair. A lot of different practices mm-hmm. that kind of put the theaters in a worse position. So uh, these kinds of practices have now gone away, and so it's led to this new system where the theaters want to basically portray their importance by, and like, kind of like the way a stock market works where, you know, we see the shares go up and it shows the value. They want to show the film film's value in the marketplace. And that's how you define its success and its impact in the culture.
2: So, so like the, the government was trying to prevent the theater or the production companies from owning everything, right? The studios. Yes. The the studios, like Disney doesn't own an AMC theater. Right. Right. Right.
1: Exactly. And and now Netflix, Netflix does own a, a few theaters. And so that's kind of really let, how it's, let, is it's led to, to the precedent up? that now that 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 the whole uh, practice and that that
2: law will go away.
0: Well, uh, Netflix owns the Egyptian theater and that rule that the government passed, not allowing studios, um, not allowing studios to. Um, to own theaters. That's gone. That's been revoked exactly. during the pandemic. Exactly. That yeah. happened during the what? pandemic because of the pandemic. So now people are speculating that Amazon can buy AMC because AMC's been bankrupt for a while. They were bleeding they're bleeding cash. So if, a- if people-
2: let's say that happens, let's say Amazon buys AMC, can Disney put movies in an AMC theater? I would imagine that they would.
1: Um you know, change is slow after the big thing happens. Like when the labels change, like Whole Foods is still Whole Foods for a while, and then it started slowly becoming like, oh, this is an Amazon fulfillment place that happens to sell groceries. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a it takes time. But uh, I mean, the, the thing that the thing that bothers most people about this, and this is where like the, all the nostalgia comes in, and if if a company that was producing content acquired the uh, the the rails to distribute and exhibit that content, that they would they would use uh, anti-competitive. They would they would they would commit anti-competitive behaviors to kind of, uh, you know, push out, com- you know, other studios' movies. And so, yeah, and Amazon, Amazon, if they had the Century City AMC and had every other AMC theater, like they could easily program any sort of Amazon Prime Video title that they wanted. If they wanted to, they could easily do that. And they would probably be okay with the loss. That That is a possibility. It's not li- likely though, because for that business to pay its rent, they need to maximize the number of seats.
0: And Marvel movies bring in people. Mm. It, you, can't, you can't
1: deny Disney's IP power, Warner Brothers' IP power. That's where it's really kind of it. So who are the tastemakers who are going to have content of value that will warrant someone to go and consume that
2: content? What does that mean for the independent studios?
1: I think the independents, I mean, there's going to be the, the middle class of independent studios are going to be going through a tough time. Uh, In some ways, I would say that (laughs) that's not good (laughs) in in some ways they'll be like, okay, they're going to coast by a little bit if they can if they can, you know, keep the lights on. I have to say when it
2: comes to their staff. So if let's say I'm the Amazon and I own AMC and an A24 Studios movie wants to get on my screen, I could like price gouge them until they would fold and I could acquire them and all their content. Wouldn't that be in my best interest as Amazon? I mean, I I think I think it would.
1: That absolutely, it that's seems like,
2: horrible. I, it that's is horrible. horrible. And, 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 and
1: When I mean the independents, I mean I would include A twenty four in that. I mean they uh, they're not they're not independent in terms of like quality. Like they're definitely like the best in terms of like I taste. love those movies. they so they've the, the best movies, but they also they don't really have their own streaming service. They're not they're not Disney. They're not like Amazon or Apple. So what they do is they have the advantage of taking their very high quality films and literally shopping them around. Who's the highest bidder? Netflix, Apple. We just the dance of all the other bigger players out there, uh, and 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 they will get a good value, and that's how they'll keep profit. And that happens all the time right now, actively, even before the pandemic. Uh, HBO Max is is also licensing content uh, from you know that from my company. We've sold a couple things to HBO. It, it, it's it's uh, nice. it, we've sold to Netflix. We've sold to you know there's like output deals where you kind of take you know film is the only art form that has all these like weird windowing structures to maximize profit at every point in its in the lifetime of that product.
0: But you said that it's no, it was normally 90 to 120 days theatrical uh, that that a movie is in the theater but because of the pandemic because of because of Universal's uh, mini spat with AMC early on in the in 2020 that's been reduced to 17 17 days. Why 17 days? 17 days, I
1: mean, I, in my experience for every film that my company's released theatrically, uh, I would say about 90% of our revenue, uh, gross revenue, is, was, was in the first three weeks. Uh, that's been very consistent, regardless of screen, screen count. Regardless of screen count, it, it's mm. always been about 90% received within the first 15 days, that three, three play weeks. So, I mean, I can see why they picked 17, just to give it that extra little buffer, um, I think the only mm-hmm. mistake with Universal is that they they made the threshold or the mistake on AMC's part when this deal is that the threshold to allow for the 17 day window is I think like well over 40 million. It's it's a big number, a number that a lot of movies don't really hit in their first three weeks, uh, which is kind of a shame, which just allows Universal a lot of wide uh, breadth of availability to maximize their profit while the film is kind of on its downturn in the marketing spend. Because that's what it all comes down to is we. Studios prefer day and date because we only have to market the film once and then it's everywhere and it's consumer friendly and anyone that wouldn't have bothered to go to the theater, whether it had been open or not, uh, gets a chance to see it through their own service and they get that money directly.
2: It sounds like the studios with streaming services are going to be okay.
1: I, I would say so. Yeah. I mean, HBO Max is, is you know, they they have they have a lot of content. The thing about HBO Max I worry about is that they're just they're owned by AT&T, which is like a telecom company.
2: And they have more priority over selling their telecommunication a- 100%, devices. Than-
1: and that that that's like the core of this deal is that they decide to p- take all their movies, which movies aren't that big for streaming services relative to to series. You know, you kind of need the, the long-form content to drive a monthly subscription. I watch a movie mm-hmm. for a weekend, I unsubscribe, and then I can wait another month and we'll see if they're worth it. You know, so people do that.
2: What about like studios like A24 that don't have their own streaming service? Like what's it going, what's the future going to look like for them?
1: Yeah. A24 and then other independent distributors are in a interesting place. I would include Sony in that because they don't really have their own subscription VOD. They're pretty big. They got Spider-Man, you know, they got uh, a,
2: they have crackle, right? (laughs) Oh, they have
1: crackle. That's true. Um, I don't think they're going to invest in that as like a big thing. (laughs) I wouldn't expect, (laughs) uh, they have PlayStation and they tried it with PlayStation. Uh, but I think they shut oh, that yeah, down. Oh, didn't they shut
2: down? Yeah, they shut it oh, down. Man.
1: I thought it was a good idea. People liked it for their linear TV service. Uh, but anyway, mm. the, the, the these this cross-section of distributors that don't have their own streaming services, basically all their IP, all their future productions that they're going to be selling and distributing themselves, they kind of now are now shopping the film like they would an independent filmmaker trying to sell it originally to other platforms and seeing who will take the highest bid. Uh, even with James Bond. Uh, it was going to come out before Christmas uh, because they were shopping it around mm-hmm. to Netflix and Apple, and I think the the offers were upwards of six hundred
2: million. And, and they I took, read that as well. And they turned it down. Wait, so can you explain that again? Like six hundred? Someone the theaters paid six hundred million? No, no no no. For the, no, 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 no,
0: no, no. MGM wanted to sell uh, No Time to Die for six hundred million. They were willing to release it on Netflix, Hulu, whoever was willing to pay six hundred million for that uh-huh. film. Uh, but that that didn't happen uh i'm not i'm not too sure why it didn't i mean maybe maybe theater maybe streaming services thought the thought the way dylan explained maybe there's just not enough uh demand for movies being that big to spend that much on a movie because it might it's going to drive people to that streaming service when it comes out but is it really going to keep people around
1: Mm, Yeah, I mean, yeah, like licensing content is is such a big part of the industry and just the shifting of hands of all these random content, like even like Harry Potter, the series is not on HBO Max. Can you believe that? Like, because it's like trapped in some random syndicated window. I don't even know what service it could stars or encore. It's on Peacock, I I think. Where is it?
0: It's on Peacock with Peacock, the uni- NBC. With, uh, NBC. Pe- okay,
1: so Universal. It's with Universal right now. Yeah. So that's like that's a that's a you know ridiculous kind of notion that the IP for the studio that the credits that come in the beginning is not exactly where you can see the, the, the film. But, that's you know, wild. All, all of that <laughs> all of that is going to completely like change and like balance itself out over these years as these contracts kind of run their course. Um, it's, it's just going to be a major, I think, I think when it comes to the, the, the James Bond offer that got turned down, it's, it, it's that, it's that idea of how long is the value of a licensed film for your streaming service? That's like one movie. Like how, what is the relevance and cultural impact that you get for that amount of money? You know, like Wonder Woman will be in the ether for, for a month or two, you know, and then they're going to put out another movie, right? That's what studios do. They put out a movie. Disney puts a movie every month, maybe probably two. Right, theatrically, at least before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you're driving this press wave, and it's like, as a company, you can definitely afford it. Apple can afford that. Amazon can, you know, do that multiple times if they wanted to. But are they going to get that kind of value?
2: So you mentioned before, um, part of it being in a distribution company is going out and looking for films. Uh, yeah, I, I run. I work in the operations ad-
1: area of distribution, so that's really more post acquisition. So we have a team of folks that will go to the festivals and uh, essentially, you know, keep their ear to the ground where filmmakers are basically trying to sell their film and, and take offers and, and, and weigh the profitability and the ROI, return on investment, you know, potential for <laughs> a film. So it's like a whole thing that, that, that happens in the space. And then once the film is acquired, then, then I kind of come in and figure out the best plan to release it and uh, execute.
2: And since the pandemic happened, like these festivals have changed, right? Like they don't, they're not held in a physical place. Yeah, they're not held in a physical place,
1: which is the, the I think the, the hardest thing about it um, from what I hear is, you know, the, when like at Sundance, there would be this, you know, cafe that's kind of like a, you know, a normal cafe and the rest of the year. But for the time of the festival is like this major hub where a lot of. Not just famous, but, you know, important people in Hollywood are walking around and and are able to take conversations organically. And it's a major uh, networking kind of tool uh, for, you know, that's that's kind of democratized. Like if you can show up, then then you're there and you can have a a, you can have your voice heard and your idea pitched.
2: And maybe have your project move forward.
1: Right. And and, and if you didn't have a project, then you're working to get one like optioned or greenlit for production Mm -hmm. and then or finally sold and screened now it's just a lot of emails and conference calls zooms uh where you can squeeze them in for people to pitch their film and then they you get a link and password and you know and and (laughs) and and you see how that work looks on your laptop screen i mean it's it's a totally different world the way that we screen movies now for for acquisition is totally different we uh we had a screening room uh, like a real one with a with a dcp projector dcp that's a Mm -hmm. digital cinema package it's like a
2: digital version of a film reel that that i think in the f- f- in the film side by side they talk about that yeah it, that's it's right. the thing that replaced the reels the delivery system of cinema is going to change and that's that's almost kind of more exciting in a way for me besides the actual cameras because the very ancient system of putting a can of film on a truck, driving into a city, unloading it. That's
0: being replaced. The old way of having to ship giant film cans around is very, very expensive. So the business realized that there was a tremendous possible savings in digital delivery and digital projection. In the last two years,
2: we've uh, we've installed 10,000 digital projectors into cinemas. The conversion is taking place globally. We're probably 50
0: percent or more there, and the rest of the conversions will happen very quickly. They produce gorgeous pictures, and you had a steady building of a wave. That's why we're going to be up to 100,000 digital screens by 2015.
1: Uh, it's funny the the, the distribution distributors still pay uh, essentially a fake fee that when they talk <laughs> when they, when they talk about the film and in and. and that portion when they cover uh, the conversion from digital cinema, all those projectors across the world. And Cameron was like, oh, there's going to be this major, like uh, by the next few years, when the the film was made, like, oh, there's going to be, you know, 100,000 screens, auditoriums are all digital. In order to make that happen, that took billions of dollars from uh, a random investor in tandem with like Warner Brothers, Regal, just a random hodgepodge of companies that just, Funneled all this investment to like, hey, we're gonna upgrade every theater in the country and just make this happen. It was a pretty big effort from the National so Association of Theater Owners, and it, and it happened. And the the idea was we're gonna up, pay all this upfront costs and then the distributors are gonna pay eight hundred and fifty dollars to play the film in the theater. It's basically to maintain and buy the projector back. They're kind of putting that 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 cost on the studios. What? And that still exists today it was supposed to expire at the end of this year but because of the pandemic there's been no theatrical activity and so they're kind of rolling over into 21 and we don't know when it's going to end
2: wait so so their studios are still paying the uh,
1: theaters they pay a company that's associated with the theaters but it's not the theaters directly Mm -hmm. it's exclusively these these uh lending capital investor finance companies that have have already paid for digital projectors and maintenance, and so the cost for shipping film reels back in the old days was roughly uh, like a thousand dollars because it's just so heavy, and you're driving it by mm-hmm. truck to every city. It's it was insane. So n- and like now we use FedEx and UPS, and we just clone hard drives. So it's a lot cheaper mm-hmm. to do that. It's almost negligible, relatively speaking. But in order to fund the maintenance of the projectors, the theaters couldn't pay for it, and so the the investment people do. So they kind of off that cost back onto the distributors and the distributors pay it's it's kind of wild
2: if, even though there's no movie theaters well hardly any movie theaters playing movies they still have to pay oh
1: they only they only pay for the films that they program in so like if, if I book the AMC Century City then 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 I have to pay a VPF virtual print fee uh, for it to, for the privilege of paying playing the film in that theater Yeah, that's a that's a it's a definitely like deep that's a deep cut when it comes to distribution knowledge. Uh, it's it's interesting, and that's what's kind of made the whole viability of theatrical in general just so like off lately. It just seems too expensive for its worth, especially with the kind of numbers that are oh, man, gross that's... right now. Uh, it's it's just not. I mean, there 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 are cost cutting efforts. I mean, there there are, we're we're now offloading from FedEx and UPS to and now going to satellite distribution, which is great. We put our movie up once. On a server that is <laughs> wow. and it's all encrypted and then the, the, the theaters can download the film when they with the, with a decryption key and that's a, that's how they get their movie
0: do you still have to pay a, a certain fee even though it may not be a hundred eight hundred fifty dollars
1: we do for now yeah until the program ends uh, yeah it was supposed to be a 10-year program that started 2010 2011 but the pandemic kind of uh, extended move the goalposts on that front <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, I, I, think, I think so, especially like the newer newer players like Apple and Netflix they would like look at the model for distribution and just be like uh, no, I'm just gonna put it out on streaming like it just uh, it's it's really yeah, expensive. It's, if you look at like the amount of advertising we had to pay for a movie like it, you know it's a lot of money 10, 20 sometimes yeah. 30 million
2: dollars. I and, think the and, wasn't like the general rule of thumb like half of the production budget is the marketing budget that, That's a good rule of thumb.
1: I mean for for me it's more about like I, I, I base it on a screen count. That's how I build my model. So like if, if, you know, if I, if I'm putting this out on a thousand screens, I need to know I'm going to make 10 million opening weekend. And then it's like, mm-hmm. if I'm doing 20, that are 2000 screens, then I need 20. And so based on that number I need to gross, then it's like, where is the month that you're releasing the film in? And then how much advertising do you need in order to cut through the noise? It, it's a, it's a, it's just a major spreadsheet calculation thing.
2: I imagine this is like completely different yeah for streaming like how do you do that for streaming how do you market streaming I
1: mean it's definitely the hardest for films that have already kind of been done I think that's what HBO struggled with the most and all their filmmakers kind of went all this hoo-ha protest for <laughs> you know their right to have right right to have their you know their box office bumps you know and only a couple of them got it and you could just kind of you can you can hear the the, the wires being sent or the checks being signed when, when you know Patty Jenkins tweets like hey my film's on HBO Max isn't this great you know like <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh yeah, it was co- like, it was confirmed that her and the cast got like ten million each. Well, yeah, yeah. That
1: that could so could have been that I... could have been the, the maximum amount of their of their box office bump or the minimum I, we have no clue. We'll never so know. when you say
2: box off box office bump, you mean like the cast and crew they make a certain amount of money based off of the initial theatrical release?
1: Oh, you know, it always depends on the contract with the, with the court, like that creative. So like the, the the lead actress, the director, or, you know, it's usually just those people, the writers, of course, too. Like they have Mm -hmm. a deal for X amount of dollars to, you know, give away their product. You know, the writers for the script, director to do this job, right. And then, and then based on a certain theatrical box office gross, after 50 million, you're going to get, $2 Two million as a bonus or whatever.
2: Oh, so you're getting a bonus based off the performance at the box office.
1: Yeah, after a certain threshold, then they're gonna get another box office bump. That's what we call it.
0: Which goes back to what you were saying that there was maybe a certain, there was an incentive to do even better when your film was in in theaters, uh, because you maybe they maybe the artistic people behind it kind of like oh well if we hit this goal pulse, we could make even more or it, that's kind of what we were mentioning earlier, uh, but with streaming services now it's just, there's no longer really that it's here's the upfront fee, and maybe we'll give you a little something uh, yeah I mean I
1: residuals think. are definitely still in play it's just it's just the 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 balance has kind of flipped it's been inverted where now it's more about the upfront fee to do the work to create the product and less about what you're gonna get afterwards because you know well, all all revenues yeah. aren't really created equal anymore, and a subscriber. Is, is 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 all that matters, not just to the company, but the shareholders, you know, versus a, a an overall box office take. Like, you know, just just last year or twenty nineteen was a record theatrical box office year, but that dwarfs the amount of like core revenue that Netflix got in subscribers. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's a yeah. uh, it's just a totally different uh what? way of thinking when it comes to just the amount of money and the scale that we're talking about here, and it's it's just gonna change the industry dramatically. I think. When it, when it comes to especially just like with these movies that HBO chose to put out on HBO Max day and date, you know, these filmmakers, they wanted their film to show be shown in the theaters for multiple reasons. It's like, you know, the theater is the highest quality experience. It's a dark room. It's color calibrated. Uh, you know, the sound is great. You know, like the, these things are you can't you can't get the one to one equal quality at home. You can get close. But mm-hmm. not it, you'll never get quite there, and this is the same thing that they talked about side by side when it comes to film. I mean, Christopher Nolan was like the most bougie. Like I couldn't believe it. Like <laughs> this guy, <laughs> he, he talking about like like digital film is like a Chips Ahoy like chemical hollow cookie. Like yeah. no, yeah. bro, what are you talking
0: about? Like <laughs>
1: well, that was that was that yeah. was
0: the impression early on. It, that was the impression early on in the in the creation of digital cameras because. A lot of people were saying it wasn't, you know, even Danny Boyle, who loves digital technology, was like, nah, man, it, the, the the quality doesn't compare to film. But like George Lucas said, he's he said that we are at the beginning of this new technology. It is going only to gonna get, get better. Film can only go so far. And we are at the peak of film technology, of celluloid technology.
1: 100%. I mean, I, I, I equate it a lot with, uh, with what happened with the music industry and like Napster and then finally like Spotify and... Streaming services of that ilk, you know, like it's Kanye West, like when he did uh, "Stronger," the song "Stronger" on uh, one of his albums, that was like a big hit. Like he mixed that that song on his laptop because he knew most people would listen to it on their laptops and not like through like really nice headphones. And I I think that's very interesting because in the age of streaming, uh-huh. if you extrapolate that, that's kind of exactly what's going to happen with movies. Everyone's watching movies on their on their cell phones and and like. You know, people complained about Game of Thrones in their it, it, with the dark. You know, the dark footage mm-hmm. in that battle. I mean, it wasn't for me because I calibrate my TV. But I'm I'm a crazy, I'm a crazy <laughs> nerd, and uh, I demand that kind of standard as much as possible. Uh, yeah,
2: that's that is that is one it, thing that I really hate about uh, watching things at home is that the sound isn't always calibrated properly. Like sometimes the music will be mixed super high, and the dialogue is mixed super low.
0: You're talking about audio, but what the fuck? uh, What about motion blur or what's it? Oh, yeah. That's a lot of people still have that
2: option on. That was like a joke in what we do in the vampires. I I just started watching that show. It's great. Oh, that's totally up your alley. It's a great show. (laughs) (laughs) He's like trying to he's making a big deal about adjusting the the motion blur and and all this stuff about. Well, for sports, you want to have it on. But
1: (laughs) exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, most people, like I was at a friend's place and they had their picture settings on Vivid where it's like, oh, that's like no. the best buy, like, oh, buy this TV because it looks yeah. like the brightest and the best and look colorful. But like mm-hmm. they were watching, I think he was playing for his kids, like the the Disney Plus like sing-along and like Ryan Seacrest, the host, he looked like Donald Trump. It was like orange. His <laughs> was, skin was completely orange. And he, and then I fixed it for him and he said, put it back because that one looked better.
2: Oh my
1: oh, God please like yeah it was it it it, my heart sank for sure
2: the thing with motion smoothing that you have to remember is you want it on for sporting events but off for tv and movies even take a football movie like 1974's the longest yard
0: starring mustachioed actor burt reynolds dude you're you're blocking kickoff well better to not watch the game at all than to watch in the wrong format right Call it enough they want the out
2: all right so you mentioned some you mentioned that like Netflix, like the 2019 box office, right? It set a rec- set records, right? That's right. But it doesn't compare to what Netflix made. I say that to say in the eyes of shareholders,
1: like Avengers making more than a billion is great, but that, that billion is for whatever reason, this could be, you know, uh, it's almost subjective in a way, but this is the matter of fact, <laughs> what, the, what, the, what the markets tell us is that that is not as important as, as X and many subscribers to Netflix or Amazon prime or Disney plus that, that assured revenue from a subscriber is more valuable than this, like big dump of money from a one film.
2: So these streaming services or these uh, studios or telecommunication companies or digital companies, the ones that have this service, the Disney plus Netflix, HBO max, it sounds like the pandemic is helping them.
1: I mean, the, the pandemic, I think, has accelerated trends that have, have were, are, like, the pandemic did not uh, change course, uh, the direction for these companies and our future integrating with technology and streaming. It, it has only accelerated trends that already existed. I think th- uh, theater ticket attendance is stagnant, but revenue has grown mostly because of the premium formats and the in experience that is, like, associated with now going to the theaters when they were open, mm-hmm. uh, and that will probably continue. Um, but for sure, theatrical is going to have a major contraction once markets are back open. It, there, there's no reason for a studio to not put their film in theaters that if they're open because it, a, a physical place to consume content, it's the same reason why Apple did retail and why they're the best phone maker relative to other stores that have to go to Best Buy to sell their phones. It's like a, it, you need to have that space in order to be in the zeitgeist and, and gain cultural impact
2: but with the with the pandemic
1: yeah with with the pandemic and and with these tech companies that have ba- their core businesses are other things not filmmaking you know like they're basically just reeling in with their big you know truckloads of money to to put content out at volume and at scale so there's still going to be a space for theaters but in order to for a content creator to buy the rails like this i think is a smaller uh, like it, it, for them, to l- it, that's more of a a smaller objective for the company relative to their larger objective of you know shipping more toilet paper and buying more getting more subscribers and selling more iPhones and you know what I mean? It's all more about the subscriber, and so the theater is just a a, a means to to exhibit the film in a higher quality, which I think every consumer should have that option, and that's going to basically redefine what the theatrical experience is. It's for the enthusiasts.
0: When you well, the way you're describing this, the everything you just said. That it seems like that's the conversation that they had at Warner Brothers with AT&T because, like you said, having the option to watch these films in theaters is really nice and it's an option, but it really seems that where where the shareholders' minds are at right now is subscriber count, and I can only imagine that, again, I'm not in these back doors or anything, I'm pulling this out of my ass, but this shift to, obviously, there's no plan in place, as to what a studio should do during a pandemic. Everyone's been doing their own strategies and some have worked, some haven't. But one of my guesses was, okay, AT&T is in a lot of debt. There was a huge acquisition uh, in 2019. I can't remember exactly when, but I definitely remember reading that AT&T was in debt and they needed a way to, 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 to do that. And it seems that with everyone's interest in streaming service and subscribers, a kind of light bulb went off when it's like, look, theaters are cool but you know what's even cooler a million subscribers or a billion subscribers uh, <laughs> exactly exactly and 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 so they were like look Netflix is it, is, you
2: just fucking pull that social network quote I did I did and it's <laughs> awesome
0: <laughs> but but so and they're like and they're probably looking at Netflix's numbers and they're like they're kicking ass N- Netflix is probably the best streaming service out right now so 100%. my guess was I think my guess was okay in order to make up some of the ground, we're we're going to release all of our 2021 films. We're being specific about that. 2021, because they need to see how this pans out and put it exclusively on HBO Max. No paywall. uh, Same day. And you get these full-length feature films for uh, basically uh, almost for free or with your subscription. And in my head, they were like, maybe are we going to lose money? Potentially. But I think in the number of subscribers that we're going to get and keep them because again is it's hard to justify paying 600 million for no time to die but releasing all of your films that that's the higher that gives you a, a bigger incentive to stay with the streaming service because yeah. yeah maybe maybe you watch wonder woman and you'll you'll uh you'll uh you'll unsubscribe but then you have The little things, you have Godzilla versus Kong, you have potentially Batman, you have Tom and Jerry. At that point, just might as well just fucking keep the service then.
1: Yeah, I I guarantee that they're going to time it in such a way where like the next movie. Oh, just to be clear, like the the 2021 slate, a lot of those movies were supposed to be in 2020. I think a lot of the situation with ATT, you're right, is they took on a lot of debt. Um, but they also took on more debt to put on HBO Max. They rebrand the service. It's a major investment in server space and whatever hard costs to put up a streaming service. It's a big deal with all their catalog that's available to them. I don't think
2: the price went up either. Right, yeah. Like for HBO.
1: And uh, so like these movies, you know, if they're just sitting and they're not making profit, then they're, they're essentially losing them more money because they probably got the money to produce those films also on borrowed money. So it's... It's just rolling credit mm, that they are right. paying interest <laughs> on, and so, like you said, the light bulb went off, and everything pointed to them to just put it on uh, HBO Max and put it without an extra price because that way, uh, you know, we don't have to they don't have to worry about anything except for the subscriber count, which is what the only goal that they needed. A telecom company, I don't even think there was a conversation. I think it was AT and just telling one of the brothers like, "Here, this, you're gonna do this, okay? Bye. You know, I'll, I'll, be, <laughs> I'll see you on next which, call, you it, know, next meeting." <laughs>
0: And I right, I've, so. I've gone on record to say I'm not a fan of the big deal but it makes sense I mean you get to mm-hmm. it's you a get gangster to, move yeah because you get to put these movies out there so you're not having you're, you're not losing money on the on that product but then you're also finding a way to increase your subscriber count because I guarantee to you there is no number behind it but I guarantee you people subscribed to HBO Max in mass the stocks it went, stocks went up because of it I guarantee you and they're like it's a win-win. It makes sense, especially during this time. Oh, yeah. And I'm
1: positive that they're going to, like, uh, put out the next movie after One Woman in just the right date that's right after the 30 days. So you have to subscribe to the second month, you know, in order to get it and keep it. <laughs> that so makes they sense. They schedule the movie every month. They're going to they're gonna time it very delicately so that mm-hmm. they keep their subscribers going. They can't get canceled and then resubscribe.
2: All right. So I want to... We talked about this with Chris before, um, but... Being someone who's, like, really interested in film, the theater experience is something special to you, right? Oh, absolutely. Why do you prefer watching movies on the, this big screen rather than watching them at home?
1: I think, I think it's a lot about um, respect for, like, the creative hard work that goes into making a movie. What, you know, when you, when, you, when you have a background that understands how much work it takes to watch a film or to make a film, you, you want to uh, see it in the, the best way Form possible the form that, that that the filmmakers intended it to be exhibited to be seen, and uh, I mean, Christopher Nolan har- harped on a lot, but every, virtually every filmmaker would prefer uh, their film be seen in a theater because those projectors are color calibrated, the sound is perfect, the room is dark. The the three those are the three variables that are never correct. In ho- at the home, as far as I've seen, except for my own TV downstairs, like the that's the only place <laughs> I've seen. That actually, but you did that calibrated. because, but I, but I put in that that time to make it work, and that's such a rare yeah. rare case. And actually, I mean, to to Apple's credit, their their their, their phone displays are very well calibrated. Um, so that that might be a better place depending on who you ask. But it's it the theatrical experience is the best place to see. A movie, and I think to see anything that's audiovisual, which is kind of why we we're talking about before. I think there's an opportunity here to show a lot of things besides ninety-minute to two and a half hour films.
0: Well, it's funny that you said uh audiovisual because I mean you're talking about ex- uh, expanding just just uh, on, on you because you said there could be more than just ninety-minute to two-hour film. I mean Hamilton was supposed to come out in theaters this year, twenty twenty-one. Disney had a release for it. You know. Uh, and that obviously didn't happen because of the pandemic, but I mean, it launched on uh, Disney Plus to rave reviews and everyone loved it. It really starts bringing the question, because Austin mentioned fandom events too. There is a lot of room for exhi- exhibitors to really expand their catalogs outside of just studio films and just taking in whatever they need. Um, I think that's really interesting that it keeps coming up to that. There's, it seems like there's going to be a reinvention of the theater experience. And in a way, this pandemic is it's screwed theaters, but it kind of forces theaters also to improve what they have, because I love the theater experience. I'm with you. I think it's the best way to watch a movie, but there are moments where it kind of gets on your fucking skin. It gets under your skin. Yeah, uh, for example, the light bulb might be off or the, 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 mm-hmm. the background where the film is projected on isn't totally clean and people walking in. People, people, well, not even walking in, but just fucking crying babies. We've talked about that. And
2: yeah, the people on their phones, too.
0: There are films that I've hated, not even because of the film, but because of the shitty experience, you know? And it, it kind of, this whole pandemic, it seems like theaters have to, like, kind of step up their game because it feels like they've been a little dormant for a while. It's like, well, you know, we could always rely on Disney for that Avenger money, but exactly. now it's like... Now it's like shit. We're we gotta pick up our own game. Now we have to keep this shit clean. We have to keep it. We have to keep it up and running even better than before, which excites me. It's just a shame. I'm a little disappointed that it took a pandemic for them to realize it. You know, instead of the quality of that experience speaking for itself.
1: Yeah, I mean, without, I, without the pandemic, uh, I, the, the, the future that we're, we're about to, you know, ride through this roller coaster, it, it would have happened anyway. It just It's just the pandemic accelerated these trends.
2: So what do you think that means for the independent studios?
1: I, I think the independents have a space to thrive, especially now. Like, I mean, when you think about, I'll, I'll draw another parallel for the music industry. They're, they're, like, you go to Spotify, Apple Music, you have all music, right? Minus an artist or two because they're,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: they're being bougie. Uh, with 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 the film industry, we have all these subscription services, and it's becoming another uh, cable subscription bundle that you kind of make yourself.
2: It's kind of weird how we all like cut our cable services, right? But now there's so many different streaming services, and that exactly. yeah, yeah,
1: we, we have replaced one thing for something that's very similar, you know, to what we had before. And for the independent studios uh, that don't have a streaming service. It, you're, 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 they're in a place where they can basically, if they have good content, they will have it. It's a very attractive product for any of those platforms to want to bid for. And that's kind of happens every day, but for a subscription service, the genres are wide open. The, uh You know, if, if you, if you have like, you know, a lot of diversity in your cast, that means for Netflix that you might appeal more in a different country beyond just the United States. So every sort of product has, has a, as it has like a, um, a profitability, like number, like a metric that you could like gauge, like, okay, I think it's worth this much. And every price will kind of be met. And I think what's happening with this industry, with the, with the glut of streaming services that need content that need the catalog. Cause uh, like, you know, when office changes hands, there could be a shift in subscribers, but how do you keep them? How do you get them to stay? Cause you need to funnel new content monthly, quarterly, all the time of all genres to keep everyone interested. That's
0: why they got the creator of the of The Office, Greg Daniels, to make The Space Force with Steve Carell cuz Netflix knew that The Office is cool, but we need our own catalog. That's what it seems that's what it seems like everyone is all these streaming services are fighting for. It's that catalog. Exactly. That's why they're willing to spend they're willing to spend a lot of money on the Scorsese film because maybe in the long term it might not help them, but it's 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 one of those things that in 10 years down the line Netflix can say, "Hey, you want to watch the Irish like you want to see Scorsese's final films, you could watch them here. And you could also watch Alfonso's films and you could watch David Fincher's films on here. David Fincher signed up an exclusivity deal with Netflix. He's not making films for these giant studios anymore. He's he's making them for Netflix. And maybe in the short term it might not be worth 600 million like No Time to Die, but in 10 years, when ca- when uh, streaming services resemble cable subscriptions, uh, it's going to matter. It's going to definitely matter. And that's why I think Netflix is superior, because it got the, a huge head start on, uh, on HBO Max and on Apple Plus. Apple or Apple TV, because, yeah, what the fuck is on Apple TV? Yeah, so what's
1: happening is, like, movies are becoming just a feature in these larger, big tech platforms as a means to keep you paying money monthly. The, the films are not just for themselves anymore. And it's like, even like, uh, as you said, George, when it comes to like venture exclusively Netflix, like venture had that brand before. I, I, I mean, it's, it's much harder for someone to build a brand on Netflix core. Like that's like starting fresh on there because in a week or two, another movie is going to come out and that's going to be like front and center. And then it's just going to be lost in the sea of content with no way to organize flavor of it. the week. Yeah. Wh- where well, oh where oh are my the God. Tastemakers?
0: It- I, I'm so happy that you said that because there are so many films on, this was one of my concerns when HBO Max was announced. I wasn't a fan of it because I, people were like, well, why, why do you feel that way? Well, because for the longest time, these AAA premium films, these blockbuster films were, had their place. They were in movie theaters and granted independent films got pushed to streaming services. Which is cool because hey, potentially there could be more eyes on this film, and now you don't have to pay fifteen dollars for this weird experimental film about a, a jazz drummer or about uh, mm-hmm. about a a a black man a black kid in Florida uh discovering that he's gay. You don't have to pay. I'm just using those two films as an example. You don't have to pay full price. So, in theory, more people could be experienced to those films. But what I found is. That's not really the case. They just get buried under all these big projects and titles that are already on these streaming services. And, you know, you go to some of these indie hits, these Sundance hits, uh, you know, Sundance Can and all that. And who's who's really watching them on Netflix? The three of us yeah. probably. And, but-
2: and when and when like what what Dylan said earlier about how they know who's watching, they don't have to tell anybody I feel like they have all the bargaining power Yeah. as a content creator. Like I can't say, look, look how much money I made. Look how many views I pulled.
0: And, and, and now, <laughs> yeah, and the exactly. fact that now you're having, and now that the fact that you're having Wonder Woman in the same service, it's like, well, what, what the fuck, where can these independent films get their limelight? They really can't. That like just got so much smaller and it's crazy. It's insane cuz now it's all about these premium film experiences being everywhere all at once to get your eyes hooked on it. And from an artistic standpoint, these smaller films uh, I mean we we, gonna, have, to, we you know? have to
1: remember that it is it is all about like entertainment. I mean like uh it, my my dad on on Christmas morning like just wanted to watch The Honest Thief. He just wanted to see it. And that was the number 1 movie on iTunes for that weekend. Uh for purchases because obviously Wonder Woman was not available on, on iTunes to purchase or rent and neither was Soul but like he wanted to see that film and because that's entertaining for him it's like it's like it's like the comfort food you know like of that kind mm-hmm. of genre. And that's a very like low budget film relative to those other examples.
2: So it sounds like you think it's going to be in a better place.
1: I I, I think there's going to be a space for every kind of film to exist and it's going to kind of lower and raise the bar and sense of like lower the bar of what, what can be acquired and like distributed because it's going to be a lot easier and a lot cheaper to accomplish it. Um, but it's going to like raise it because uh, for us as consumers, because we're going to have more to choose from and we have, Critics, we have platforms like Letterboxd or whatever to, to, to guide our like, our viewing habits by, based on reviews. I think like during the pandemic, a lot of independent, lower-budget films made, made, made a splash, like, a, like a, that film Run on Hulu. Uh, I thought The Sound of Metal was very interesting. That was on Amazon. Uh, and and it, they're all kind of making their own splash for the little time that they have. And I think that'll be the same, whether Mm. the big blockbusters are on the streaming service or not, because what happens when they're on the streaming service and not in theaters is that they're just among the sea of all the other content. They're not just like the big, like the marquee at a theater that mattered at some time, you know, and that will still matter.
2: You don't think it for the sake of what we Mm. choose to watch. Mm. Did you watch any of those movies, George, that he mentioned? I have
0: not. No, I haven't seen them. Me
2: either. I've, but I've seen wonder woman.
1: (laughs) I mean, and, yeah. uh, you know that, that Scorsese meme, right? Like th- this isn't cinema, this is cinema, whatever, yeah. Avengers, whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, Sound of Metal and Run, I, I highly recommend it. They came from uh, Run. I don't remember the name of the, the uh, director, but he did uh, Searching. Did you guys watch that film? Oh, yeah. the I've, I've, I was very interested in it, but I didn't watch it. Searching was really good. And uh, Run is, is, it's not like amazing, but it's a pretty, pretty dang good thriller with a good twist. Uh, and 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 sound of metal like that is going to take the Oscar for sound editing, and if it doesn't, I'll be pissed.
0: There, there are two things I want to bring up real quick. Uh, I want to end on one particular thing, but sure, and just kind of bring it back a little bit to side by side. Is uh, did you like the film Side by Side? By the way, I'm just, you know um, curious. What you what do you think of it? Just quick I, impressions. I, I
1: I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I'm a very like a technical kind of. Minded person when it comes to production. So I loved all the segments when they when they started to get nerdy with color correction and and the pixel resolution. It's such a big thing with streaming too. Like I, I discovered recently that video streaming, like on Netflix and Apple TV Plus, is at a much higher bit rate than 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 some than HBO Max. When it comes to streaming, uh the the image is being pushed to uh us as viewers to our TVs. At, at, and not a consistent, uh, you know, picture density rate, like the pixel, the bit rate is, is a variable um, versus like a Blu-ray or, you know, a DVD before where it's like static, super high quality all the time or whatever that
2: marker is. I think Blu-rays were at 100, you know, uh, mm-hmm. 100, 100 yeah, megabits per second. can open up YouTube in your house and then all of a sudden everything's blurry on your movie.
1: Yeah, sometimes it'll look like a potato, but, I, but you know, and that's kind of like, you know, where it, sometimes it could be imperceptible. You know, it, it, of when it dips, but it does do that dynamically depending on your bandwidth available, or the or the Netflix's bandwidth, like on their end. Maybe they they need to. They're having a surge of activity, and so the quality has to dip a little yeah. bit. Like you know, it, not to make the case for Blu-rays again, but like uh like tenant, like you know, as a as a rental was totally a different experience than than having it purchased when it was like okay, here it is downloaded on on our on my on our box. It was a very different experience in terms of quality. And again, I started to notice it, and I was like. Oh my god, I kind of forgot what Blu-rays were like. I hadn't bought a Blu-ray in years and I can kind of remember now that why there's a, why there is a quality difference there.
0: Yeah, I started my 4K Blu-ray collection. So since the PS5 uh has uh, complete completely play ultra HD films on it, I'm I've started up op- collecting my uh 4K films and I got Tenet. I got uh Knives Out. I'm just, um, excited to see them. So, so your crib is where the uh,
1: the watch party should be.
0: Exactly. Yes. Oh, I'm going to invest so much in that. I got to... I don't want to skimp out, man. When the pandemic uh, is over. <laughs> oh, absolutely, man. But some, I, something that... Well, I'm glad you liked the documentary. Um, I re- I still recommend it to our viewers. It's an hour and a half full of great information. But something that I noticed about the doc was that there it seems to be, at the very heart of it, there's a debate about the tech of film. Celluloid is better in this way, digital is not, or digital is better in this way, you know, whatever. But it also ultimately seems to be a clash of cultures, right? This culture believes that the old-fashioned ways, the hands-on approach is better. Others believe that the new digital interface and stuff is quicker, faster, more efficient. With streaming, with streaming, it really felt kind of like early on, it, it seemed like it was a cultural game changer. And especially early on, I don't really think people took that stuff seriously. It didn't seem like people were accepting of it. I think one of the biggest reasons why Netflix has invested so much in auteur filmmakers' films is because they want that Oscar. They want that best picture win because it in a way it'll validate them. Kind of like with um, with the guy who shot Slumdog Millionaire, you know, when Slumdog Millionaire took the Oscar for best cinematography, it kind of validated what digital technology that digital technology was like the next thing. So my question is do you think that because of this pandemic, this is going to validate streaming services even more? Because it feels like early on, industry the industry was shunning streaming services. Oh, it's a Netflix film Pfft, that that not mean shit. It's not in theaters. It it doesn't mean anything. And a Netflix original film is like a film, a movie, a DV, a straight to DVD movie. But because of the pandemic, it's people have kind of. It seems like they've woken up to the fact that shit, these things are way more important than we realized. Do you think that's the case or what are your
1: thoughts on that? You're absolutely right. I think, uh, you know, the, the industry has very uh, shunned Netflix for their, it's more about their business model and not the films themselves, right? It's like they avoided theaters. They put out movies just for, just basically for TV. They called them TV movies uh, despite their quality and even the talent behind them. Uh, and that's kind of why I think they weren't getting as many votes as they should have. Uh, the pandemic has now basically forced a situation where every film is now in this space, in the same uh, caliber of release, um, because the best movies that made to theaters were not necessarily the highest quality pictures for the year. And I think this year's Oscars is going to be completely like uh, upside down, and I think it's going to be great because... people really didn't really uh at least in the past few years not just for their diversity but issues but uh, the people's perception of the highest of uh, the best picture was not really reflective in the in the choices that the academy made uh in terms of the statues that they gave out so it's you know except for parasite parasite is awesome definitely the best picture of the year but like it, it kind of feels like it's always like a political move with the academy and uh streaming has definitely justified its existence and then some just just on the fact that it's definitely the most consumer friendly way to watch a film and and we can't fight that that's 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 the way natural course of things that's the same thing that happened with the music industry it's what happened to the book industry uh it's it's happening with every industry it's uh technology has has integrated its 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 its, its uh, habits and forms into all parts of our life
0: seems like technology like the film industry was built on the back of te- of technological discovery and achievement you know because and it seems that that it, it was like that 100 years ago but now it almost seems like in a way technology is almost people see it as uh, the coming end the apocalypse of cinema cinemas are dead or cinema is this it's that's kind of echoed in the doc people are like that's not cinema or yeah back then we used to do it this way and it was richer
2: Yeah, there's also something that's unique to films, aside from the book uh, book writing industry and the music making industry. Like you can listen to a song on your headphones. Like you've been able to do that since the '80s, right? Like to get a Walkman, listen to a song on your walk. That's been a part of the music listening culture. But for films, like to build the ability to watch Apocalypse Now on your phone as you're walking around. Like That changes the the experience of watching a movie way more drastically than it changes the experience of listening to music. Do you think that has an effect on what kind of movies are going to be made?
1: That's a great point, Austin. Uh, it, and, and you're absolutely right. I think that the glut of content that's going to be coming out in the next couple of years because of all these platforms that just need a catalog uh, will definitely change because these streaming services, these companies behind them, like they know how the audience is consuming the content and it's not in a theater and it's not always in their their home TV uh home theater so it's a they a content will have to be adapted in a way that makes it more attributable for to a phone or to multiple screens uh just however the consumer wants it and the that's really the only direction these companies can go
2: i feel like the the quality of movies will suffer if like it has to account for maybe somebody leaving it on in the background as they're like Walking in and out of the room, or they're on their phone, or they're folding laundry, or something. You know, like when we, when
1: we, when we think about a, a poster, and we're designing posters for films that we're going to release in our marketing campaigns, we always think about the thumbnail. Like, how will it look in a grid? <laughs> and like, it's almost like you're designing something. This is kind of like my 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 comment about the Kanye in the song, mixing on his laptop. Like, we're 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 being mindful of of how a consumer will look at it in context to all the other choices that they have. How are we gonna make sure that our this this consumer is going to choose our content for the next 90 minutes to to watch? And like when we're making a poster, we're looking at that thumbnail. How does it look when it's really small? Not what it looks like with all the detail and yada yada. I think tenants posters are terrible. Like Christopher Nolan doesn't understand what people are looking at on on a, on their phones and tablets and, and screens because you can't really tell what's going on that in that in that poster and I don't really know why I should care. And the film is so much better than that, That's which is so sad <laughs> to me.
2: <laughs> it's so funny because like when we watched um I forgot what we, it was probably Rise of Skywalker at the Chinese theater. There was that oh prologue trailer for Tenet. Do you remember that trailer? I do. And like as as a as a film person as someone who's into film, I know who Christopher Nolan is. And I'm like, ooh, cool. And couldn't Kundu Christopher Nolan movie. But my girlfriend has doesn't really have like the name Uh, movie recognition like she doesn't she doesn't know who Christopher Nolan is but she might know the movie that he did right so when during that whole prologue and after it showed Tenet directed by Christopher Nolan she was like who the fuck is that what the fuck was that trailer he's I I feel like he's not willing to make his stuff more accessible to people who aren't like film snobs or (laughs) maybe not film snobs but like people like us Hundred percent,
1: and I and I'm a fan. I I love I love all of his films, and that's uh it's just something that, that that bothers me. And it really came across in this film, uh, side by side. Like when he every time he's shown, he's just making a really snarky comment about like immature technology, and he has no foresight to to realize that this is a like this is truly the future, and he's really kind of stuck behind. And he's such a talented creative. I just I don't know at some point it's going to have to come to the senses because like like in the end of the doc when they when they say the you know the companies are no longer producing uh film cameras anymore like that means yeah. that, that that just that just seals your fate uh we did one film in 2016 and the director he really wanted it to go uh, make a film print of it and like so i had to like reach out to Kodak and you know how much it costs to put make a <laughs> from a film negative to like make one a real print from from digital how much? like 80 grand like, why? Oh, shit. Jeez. It just seems like it's just, but to, to have it just for the sake of it didn't really justify it anymore. And like, when I think about like, just like art, you know, like it's just not, you know, the the way that consumers want to see it is is how they should see it. Like that's kind of, there shouldn't be no debate about how something should be seen. It, it's, a, it's a movie. You're not like making an art installation. And even in an art installation, like the Mona Lisa's at the Louvre, you know, but you could look it up on your phone with like night shift on your screen. Like, does that matter? But it's not the same. Right. But people will have the option. Right? But that doesn't mean you need to be a snobbery and shut out mm. the people that will want to watch would rather watch it on right. streaming. I really do believe that. I think the average moviegoer, uh uh it only goes like five times a year, maybe less. And, you know, most of those is for a Pixar big movie or an um, Avengers movie. And that's that will eventually like spread out and change over time when there's more programming and all these movies make less money at the box office. But the path that's the most consumer friendly is the one that makes the most sense for these companies. And that's what Netflix has always been. It's always been about their subscribers. And I think all the other studios have finally uh, tuned on to that logic and, and now are trying to make all their properties and business models work towards that same sort of goal. Damn. Well said, man. For reals. I think uh, I think. Uh, uh, Robert Rodriguez in, in Side by Side was my favorite quote. He said... Uh, like mm-hmm. like editing on computers is not like he would you poo pooed like oh saying editing on computers or film is not film editing like that's the technology editing is the manipulation of images to tell a story that's the art yeah how you do it and how you get there shouldn't matter and he's fucking right and he's absolutely right and 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 the te- and the technology that is streaming will be a, a further step toward the best realized way to, for. The millions of people in the world to watch watch the best movies and the worst movies.
2: There's a lot of those. <laughs> There's a lot of those.
0: Man, you um, you drop some real knowledge, man. For this whole podcast, yeah. it's just I, you've been you've been educating me. You're kind of making me take a step back from kind of where I. This whole episode is just being kind of you know because my initial look at the HBO Max deal is how could they taking a step back? It's kind of and listening to both you and Chris is kind of like. Oh shit, man! I, uh, you know, I could, I have to reflect a little bit, but mm-hmm. I will say the thing I did learn positively from from these two day or these two days of recording is that Austin's girlfriend doesn't know shit about movies. God <laughs> damn, Austin, <laughs> educate. Your girlfriend, we God. Yeah,
2: God, we, we watch all these all these movies together, and she's I, like, "Who's
0: Christopher Nolan? Who's Christopher? What the f- even? My mom knows who Christopher Nolan is. Your Jesus. mom knows
2: who Christopher Nolan is because The Dark Knight is your favorite movie. It's something you probably <laughs> talk about a lot. God, I, I, I don't really talk about Christopher Nolan very much, and I guess the circles that she's been in before me didn't really talk about him much either.
0: That's on you, bro. That's, that's on Christopher on, Nolan. That's on you, bro. Yeah, my
1: wife didn't know movies at all until, until I came along and I showed her movies and how to watch them. I gave I gave her every bullet point that we learned in film class, <laughs> <laughs> and and showed her how Fincher did his thing. And now she's obsessed with Fincher and just how he like he like that is the gold standard
0: for her. Couple goals, man. Hashtag. That's it, man. Those are my goals. Well, you guys. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Retrograde. I want to thank our guest.
2: We're not di- ending it here. We're doing a conclusion. Oh, after damn this. it.
0: Well. Well oh, fuck it. Now you, I, I was in a zone and everything. And Austin just, what did a five finger say to the face? Smack. That's what you did to me, was, Austin. I thought it was slap. Oh, I can't remember, man. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. It's slap.
2: Because so. slap is something you do with your, your hand, your open palm.
0: I thought it was smack. because Smack every- is
2: generic. When you lay the smack down on someone, do you do you use your, your fist? No, a smack my... is definitely open palm.
0: <laughs> a smack a... is open palm? Yes. Yeah. I've only I've only opened palm. smacking good. Ooh.
2: <laughs> Touche. Nah, a slap. A slap is always an open palm.
1: <sighs> slap. God damn yeah. It. A slap. Well, what about what about you know the B slap? You know, it's the backhand, but it is open still. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, you're right. I, I
0: yeah I take it back but
2: smack is it's it's, it's not smack.
0: I'm smack gonna look stationary. up the I'm gonna look up the fucking smack. <laughs> go ahead. I, I go ahead and be
2: wrong twice.
0: <sighs> Thank you again, Dylan, for coming on the show and educating us. Thank you so much for having me. This was uh this was great. I had a great time. Thanks, man. What is the five fingers? Say to the face. <laughs> what? Stop!
2: <laughs> All right everybody. We are concluding our New Year's special. Oh, my God, my cats. <laughs> you hear them? I heard them. They're fighting.
0: It was it's
2: serious, harassing Hobbs as usual. Mm. He's kind of a bully.
0: Yeah, Sirius is kind of like that. Yeah,
2: Hobbs is such a sweet boy.
0: Wow. Well, a little too much.
2: Sometimes he'll come up to me when I'm recording and just, like, lay on me. <laughs> purr loudly oh cute kitty but yeah but how do you feel about uh, you know the changes in the film industry that we've talked about these past two weeks well actually two days but.
0: well to summarize you know it is disappointing because it does seem to be it does I am slightly disappointed Um, you know I've always liked the exclusive windows that theaters had in playing these films but that seems to be getting shorter and shorter granted it's understandable during these times who knows what's going to happen because this could be the future this could be we could be headed this was this is the future man we were always headed in this direction yeah um the pandemic just accelerated the process yeah now how is it going to play out in reality we don't really know because if you talk to different people, everyone has a different idea as to what's happening and how it's going to go from here. So who's to say, really? Um, but people like staying at their houses. People like deals. And the HBO yeah. Max one is a bargain for consumers. And ultimately, people want content. People want to see movies and shows. They still There is still a desire for that. Maybe the ways that we're watching it Maybe maybe the way they want to watch it is changing, but there is always going to be a demand for that. So in the end of the day, the film industry is going to be around. TV industry, movie theaters to a certain extent. The end result, we're probably not even going to see the effects of this. Not even maybe five years down the line, you know. And there are and there's a lot of moves being made right now that may. Set a new course for us. Uh, I know there was an article that you read where uh, Roku bought all of Quibi's library yeah. of content. Because Quibi yeah. went under.
2: Yeah, for those of you who don't remember, Quibi was a streaming service. But it, the, the episodes were supposed to be like 10 minutes or less or something, right? Yeah. That was in all of their ads. Like, oh, how long did it take? Uh, a Quibi. And then the person, have you seen those commercials? I,
0: I have the, the Chance to the Rapper one I saw. And, <laughs> and it's the, supposed to be a the, quick bite. You know? Yeah.
2: And it kind of lasted for a quibby. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Is they go- gone? Um, yeah. Is gone? M- remember, we were talking about the Sony not having like a big streaming service? Mm-hmm. They kind of do with Crackle, they used to with P- PlayStation View. Well, apparently, they, on their new. Newer line of TVs, the Bravia TVs, they're going to have like a streaming service that comes with it called Bravia Core. And, you know, like Dylan was, was talking about like bitrate being variable. This is supposed to be like a really high bitrate. So you need like pretty decent internet to use it. And it, then they say that they're going to have the largest collection of IMAX movies on a streaming service. But the article says that it's unclear how many movies this will actually work out to. <laughs>
0: well, I just think it's also like I appreciate them trying to do it, but seeing an I seeing it seeing an seeing an IMAX film on a TV is still seeing a movie on a TV. See, it, yeah, it, but like, it's a four K TV. No, no you know? four four K HDR. Yeah, that's all well and done, but there's no way that Interstellar. Watching Interstellar on a TV is gonna be the same as watching Interstellar on an IMAX projected screen like the one in Irvine Spectrum. It's That's not true. The, I, but I I again I welcome I appreciate them them I appreciate them trying.
2: Yeah, and what he was saying too about like it Sony isn't just a movie company. You know, they make PlayStations, they make TVs, they make stuff. So maybe this is a you know, movies, this collection of movies, this uh catalog of movies will encourage you to buy sony tv
0: hey it's hey it's totally something to consider i mean uh you know i I need a tv in my house regardless of quarantine pandemic or not so this is a this is a nice cherry on top
2: and there's one other thing that that dylan sent me like after we finished recording or maybe i sent it i don't know it was exchanged in the group chat um, how Netflix is now releasing a movie every week?
0: Yeah, for fifty-two weeks.
2: And I thought it was really funny how it was like Gal Gadot on the. Well, it was
0: Gal Gadot, Ryan Reynolds, and The Rock. Yeah. In the trailer, pushing that out, and it, it, I mean, it goes back to what we were saying. It's there's that desire for content and that library of original content. Because in the end of the day, who knows what? Who knows what Netflix is going to look like five years down the line? 10 years down the line, they may not actually even need to license movies and stuff. They, they're, they might have so much that like, we don't have to pay these studios fees. I, I doubt that, but who knows, man, who really knows? So it's, it's a wild time, man.
2: And it's changing, changing all the, like within weeks after we talked, like these, these things were just announced, yeah. you know, between like Christmas day and January 16th.
0: Yeah. Like, and part of me is slightly disappointed, but I'm also slightly excited because, you know, we have still yet to see the future Game of Thrones breaking bads that will come out of this whole exchange. You know what I mean? And, you know, we know who knows when this pandemic's going to end. Vaccines are rolling out. But in the meantime, you know, things are crazy out there. So getting movies directly to your TV, shit, man, I love it too. You know, uh, I like it. Uh, even though I'm butthurt about movie theaters, I still like watching shit. Mm. So
2: I think that the, the main thing about the theater, and I think this is, this might be like a, a general thing, but the main thing that I love about the, the movie theater the most is it's like the one place where all you're focused on is the one thing. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, man. I, uh. I've had so many days where, uh, you know, I just wasn't feeling right. Um, You know, relationships that fell through and being in a movie theater, it's just kind of like encapsulates all your focus. Your focus is on the screen and you're not really thinking about when you get out and all the anxieties and day-to-day conflicts that you have to deal with or resentments, regrets, uh, failures, breakups, grades, you know, it's... um, you're just focused on a movie. And if it's a good movie, then it's almost like it turns your day around. Yeah. And it almost feels like you just get your second wind.
2: hmm And I think you can have that experience at home, but you just have to, like, be willing to just let that be the thing that you focus on. You know, at home, it's so easy to, you know, pause the movie and then check your phone or go cook something and then resume it like nothing happened. But you, know, you for a moment you, you took yourself out of that experience. And I think that that kind of hurts the overall experience that is watching a movie.
0: Yeah. And I mean, and you're absolutely right. We've talked at length about a lot of movies that we've seen at home that we never saw in theaters that we still love, Children of Men. I know one that you and I will agree on is Speed Racer. I've never seen Speed Racer in a movie. Theater. Well, actually, I did see it. Oh, you, you sorry, you did see it. Yeah. I just remembered.
2: But still, like when I watched it, um I, I watched it again uh with Leanna when we recorded the episode, and it was the first time she had ever seen it. And like we we were both like in the movie. You know what I mean? We weren't like On our phones and and pausing it and, like, going to do stuff is just, you're just watching it, you know?
0: And that's what good filmmaking does. It absorbs you in, regardless if you're watching it on an IMAX screen, on a TV, or on your phone. A good film brings you in it. It absorbs you. That's why people fell in love with The Mandalorian. I mean, regardless of what you think of the last three Star Wars films, where, where you stand, people haven't been this hyped about Star Wars in a long time. And the Mandalorian is being sent directly to TVs and TV monitors all across <laughs> the country. And yeah. people are falling in love all again with Star Wars. And yeah. that that was on a TV. With, with Speed Racer, I I never saw that in theaters. Um, and I still love that film. But you can't... Part of me can't help but wonder, like, what would it have been like to have seen that movie in theaters? You know what I mean? Like, that first time seeing it in theaters and... I just, I can't remember it. To me, it's kind of like just, it's like a, what if, what could have happened? Yeah. If, you know what I mean? And I feel like yeah. I've, I, you know, it's you, you like, it's like what if I had gone up to that girl and said something, you know? <laughs> or what if I had like, what if I had said no to that person? Yeah. Huh. And I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like just what if? Yeah. And I can't help but wonder, like, man, what it, what would have been like to have seen Speed Racer in theaters? Because I, I love the movie. I know I would have loved it. And I mean, because Speed Racer isn't a popular film, I may never get the chance to see it. So there's it's kind of leaving me hanging a little bit, but I could still enjoy it.
2: Yeah, you can still you can still enjoy it. It just I I think, you know, it doesn't matter if movie movies change. What matters is if we let movies change us.
0: Oh, you corny motherfucker! <laughs> that's the line from but Speed Racer. That is the line from you, son of a bitch. That's that's a good job, though. I think you, I think you, you. That's it. That's, that's the, the that, show. That is the that is the <laughs> thesis for these last two episodes. Literally, what Austin just said is the entire thesis. If you took anything from what we've talked about in these last two episodes and uh, in these hours, it's that. And uh, I want to hang that on my wall. I want to put that on a banner. Dude, that should be our our, our uh, new podcast art somewhere, maybe.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I really like that. I really like how you brought it back. You brought it full circle. Yeah,
2: uh, Because I remember you dropped a quote somewhere earlier. I think it was a social network. I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm going to get him back. And then I thought of it, and I've been sitting on it for weeks.
0: Uh <laughs> All right, you know, man, I thought you were being all clever in the moment and shit. Now you're saying that you thought I'm of sorry. Man, this, I thought I'm of the sorry. social network on the spot. <laughs> no, but, but you're right, though. But you're absolutely right. And I mean, look at the shows that have affected people so much. Mandalorian, The Boys, Queen's Gambit. People, people, people want this stuff. And they're willing to bring it into their lives, regardless of how we see it. So I think what you said is the perfect answer. Ending to this New Year's special episode. Thank you, Austin. That's a good quote, man. I like Thanks. that.
2: I'm, I'm happy I was able to record that and put it on the internet.
0: Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you did, man. I'm glad you said it. All, All right. right. So thank you guys again for listening to this episode. We're, now we're actually going to get back to our regularly scheduled program. Uh, we actually. So our next film that we're going to release is actually Munich. We're going to be releasing Munich on the thirty first of January. That was supposed to come out in December, but you know these uh, the Christmas episode and the New Year's ones. Yeah, we decided to do those. But the next one is Munich. Afterwards is Blues Brothers. Uh, that would be on the fourteenth, Valentine's Day. On oh, Valentine's Day, way. and then it's,
2: it's not Valentine's Day related at all. But no, it's it's a good it's a good episode. We so, have our our uh, second guest, Brandon one of the our third hosts. guest he's our second guest
0: oh okay for for a film for a film episode he is our second guest technically yeah. he, he is technically our fourth guest though
2: i and, mean yeah i guess yeah. but in terms of like us recording like he's technically our second
0: guest yeah. but so that's yeah and he brings a lot of insight into blues brothers and one of honest- his favorite movies yeah and honestly blues brothers is one of my favorite episodes um that we've recorded loved Loved it. We also have Willy Wonka, the original one, followed afterwards. And then we have a few more movies after that. But the one that Austin and I are going to be recording pretty soon is Planet of the Apes. Yeah, the
2: old, I think, 68 with Charlton Heston, which we haven't seen yet. And I think that you gave me a, a quiz or something at the beginning of the recording. And I have held my word. I have not looked up the movie series. So we'll see if I can remember them. Uh, at the end <laughs> by the end of the episode
0: hell no you won't i don't even remember them I and mean, i was looking at the damn list <laughs> and then we, we are also bringing back dylan and chris uh dylan's gonna be joining us in an episode of sophie's choice and chris i'm
2: finally gonna figure out what her she has to choose a, between, because I have no idea.
0: I know people would always say like, "Oh, it's a real Sophie's choice." I'm like, "Okay, it really, it can't be that difficult." Like, <laughs> okay, come on, like, I, I don't get it, but we'll see. And then Chris will be coming on as well. I know he was interested in talking about District Nine, but maybe there's some other films that he'd like to talk about. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. But we have, and we have a fantastic 2021 plan for you guys. We want to make it a lot more. We want to make a lot more themed. We want to refine a lot of what we're doing. We want to involve you guys way more. Um, We have a lot more stuff planned, especially on our social medias. We have a lot of ideas for posts and stuff that we are finalizing. But I am so excited for 2021. I think 2021 is going to be the year where everything turns around. I could feel it. I'm excited and I'm optimistic. You're taking bold.
2: We're like four days away from Inauguration Day, man.
0: We we are in the season we are in the season finale. But I could I I could feel it. I feel I'm optimistic that things are going to look All better right. for a lot of us. So on that note, thank you, Austin. Well, thank you, George. Or Jorge.
2: <laughs> what do you what do you want? 2021 is gonna be the year that you decide what you prefer.
0: Oh no, I'm I'm never gonna decide. I'm always gonna let people I let the people decide. You guys call me what you want. As long as, look, man, Jorge, George, Georgie, Porgy, Giorgio. <laughs> hey, whore, that counts too. No, no. You guys call me what you want. All I all I need to know is that you are talking to me, right? Because if you're like, hey, yo, Henry, I'm not gonna respond to that. What the fuck you get? You, where the fuck did you get Henry from? No. Awesome. Well, thank what? you very much, guys, <laughs> and we'll see you on the next one.
2: Yep, you for you can follow us on our social medias that we were talking about uh, on Twitter at retrograde one word underscore pod retrograde underscore pod, also on Instagram retrograde underscore pod, and we have a Facebook group called like retrograde podcast or something. I uh, I'm very slow with updating. I apologize, but we're there. So if you like like what you're hearing. Feel free to follow us. Let us know that you like the show, what movies you might want to listen to. Also, like if the podcast uh, app that you're using has a way to rate the podcast, we really appreciate like five star reviews and like, you know, saying what you like about the show and recommending it to others. Because word of mouth is everything, you know,
0: I could I could live with a four and a
2: half. I don't. No, you gotta set the bar high, dude.
0: Uh, I, I'm. I'm fine with four and a half. Four. Are you
2: fine with mediocrity.
0: Oh, four. Four is a solid one. Four is like a, a. You know, it's like a B. I've always been a B student. Yeah, but
2: uh, getting five stars doesn't cost them anything extra. Hmm. I don't know. We have a perfect five star rating right now. We do. Why would you want? We do on, on Apple Podcasts. We have... Oh,
0: oh, fuck that then. Don't ruin it. Fuck you. No, <laughs> give us a five star. No, I take that back. I take it back. Everything I said. If, you, right. if you four stars, I'm going to find you. God damn That's it. That's what
2: you said last time.
0: Well, now I'm, I'm well, reiterating works, what I'm saying. Yeah. I will find you. Okay.
2: Like then Liam Neeson's.
0: I have a particular set of scales. I, I can't do his voice. I don't know what the I don't know what his voice is. <laughs> all right god damn it all right all
2: right see you on in two weeks See you guys bye bye.